1: Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 31 years. Boy, I was busy yesterday, almost 12 hours in the operating room, and I could not wait to get up to be with you guys here like we do each and every Saturday. Dr. Clapper. that's right, Kobe Bryant. We miss you, we love you. Mm. I'm so excited for today's show. My guest is NBA player Tariq Black, former Laker. Tariq Black, who in 2019 played in Israel and helped the Israeli league, uh, or win the Israeli league championship. He was an all-star, He really lit the world on fire over there in Israel. But what's great about Tariq is that he played in Kobe's last game. You remember the game where Kobe scored 60 points. Way back in 2016, Ben Lyons from this station organized an ESPN celebrity basketball game. If you go on Twitter, at Dr. Robert Clapper, you'll see a picture of me in my uniform, standing next to six foot nine, Tariq Black. And that's really when I got to meet him. But to be able to talk to Tariq about what it was like to play with Kobe in his last game, what it's like to play in Israel, his whole journey in the world of basketball is fascinating to me. And what's most fascinating is leaving America, where he's from and fly all the way to the Middle East and play in Israel, where he is recognized as such a great player. It made me think all week knowing that he would be my guest today. You know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, and the world of surgery, and I feel that they're all the same on some level. Where in art do you see this story of having to leave America, get on a plane and fly over the ocean to really find your success, well, you don't have to look too far, because in the early 60s, Jimi Hendrix, who many people believe was the greatest guitar player of all time, but in America, leaving Seattle to try to find fame and fortune in New York City in the early 60s, he didn't find it he was homeless he was constantly putting his guitar in the pawn shop just to be able to survive no place to live but when the Isley brothers heard about Jimi Hendrix they hired him that's how he got his start they bought him a brand new guitar but he still was not Jimi Hendrix They told him, stay in the background and play the guitar. It wasn't until Chas Chandler, the bass player from the British band, The Animals, who said, you know what? I'm getting into managing musicians. You, Jimi Hendrix, New York ain't doing it for you. The Isley brothers ain't doing it for you. Come with me. Let me take you to London. There you'll be appreciated. Wait till you hear this story of Jimi Hendrix leaving America to finally be discovered for who he really was. What about in sports? Well, in 1912, the greatest swimmer, the record-breaking swimmer from Hawaii was Duke Kahanamoku. He won two gold medals in the Stockholm Olympics in 1912. So after the Olympics, He was placed on a world tour to promote swimming, and he went all over the world. He wound up in Australia in 1914. He did all these swimming exhibitions like he was supposed to, but his true love was surfing, where it was actually not even allowed to be done in Hawaii because of the old laws of the missionaries. But Duke Hanumoku loved to surf. And here he is on a beach in Australia with these beautiful waves. And he says to the Australians, how come you're not surfing? They said, are you kidding? We're not going in the ocean. There are sharks everywhere. He said, you got to be kidding me. Give me a plank of wood. I'll take my tools and I'll make my own surfboard and I'll show you. You got to go surfing. Wait till you hear the story of Duke Ahanamoku being the first one ever to ride a wave in Australia, there are now more surfers in Australia than in any place else in the world. It was not discovered or embraced in his homeland of Hawaii, but boy, did he turn the world upside down that one fateful morning at Freshwater Beach in Australia in 1914. Wait till you hear that story. And in surgery, there was a Russian surgeon named Elizerov, a Jewish surgeon who had to run to Siberia to escape Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, and for 30 years worked there with no one knowing what he was doing, changing the world and inventing something called an external fixator. And it wasn't until Stuart Green and Viktor Frankl discovered this amazing work that he was done and changed the world sometimes you do have to leave home to really be embraced and become and find success we'll get into that in a few minutes clap provision. i'm fascinated by san francisco 49er george Kittle's injury he broke a bone in his foot called the cuboid why is that so fascinating to me well here's a clap revision this is a bone on the little toe side of your foot that literally sits between your heel bone, the calcaneus, and your metatarsals. It's the anchor of the little toe side of your foot that bases the arch of your foot on the lateral side. The Clappervision is, it's the most interesting bone to me because it literally, is the Clapper vision it looks like a marshmallow made of bone. Clapper vision. Why would we have a cube, a, a cuboid bone, that's what it's called, that looks like a marshmallow on the lateral side of your foot? I'll get into it a little bit later. And if you've got any foot injuries, by all means, the clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And we'll get into more Clapper vision. But right now, let's get into today's topic, which is leaving home to find success. Steve Paulette. Let's listen to this unbelievable story of Jimi Hendrix being homeless, his guitars in the pawn shop, and the Isley brothers telling the story of meeting him for the very first time in Greenwich Village in New York in the early 60s. Let's go to number one.
3: Kelly and Ronald uh, were looking for uh, guitarists to uh, play in the band because the guitar player that my brothers had in the band had quit. And they heard about this guy in the village and uh, played very well. And they just found him. And, uh, hey man, play something for me. I can't, Uh, my guitar's in the pawn shop. (laughs) Get this guitar out, play something for me. I can't (laughs) because my guitar doesn't have any strings on it.
1: This is Ronald Isley now talking about, okay, we bought him some strings. Come on, we want to hear you play. We heard so much about you, number two.
4: <laughs> and then, when well, we bought the strings, and then he was, he was saying, "Man, I heard all about you guys." And he was putting the strings on the guitar. I'm listening, and he said, uh, and I, as he got the string, he turned it, the guitar was turning around, and he's left-handed, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Turn, and I, and he started. Uh, he said, "I like this song that y'all had called Twist and Shout.'" And he started playing, I said, oh, my. you know, we hired him
1: right away, right away. <laughs> <laughs> Ronald wisely we hired him right away, because <laughs> he's Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Number
3: three. Right away. Gonna introduce you to the rest of the brothers in the band. Uh, we got uh, rehearsals, you know, uh, in a couple of days. I can't make rehearsals in New Jersey because I do not have a place to stay. <sighs> All right, these are your worldly goods here? Come on with us and you can stay in the spare bedroom we have at my mother's house. So they're leaving and they say, you know, by the way, you know, Jimmy, you play very well, but the guitar you have is kind of scruffy looking. If you're gonna play with us, we gotta get you a new axe. Really? He's like, yeah, what kind do you want?
1: (laughs) We gotta buy you a new guitar. Listen to this, number four.
3: Can I have a white Stratocaster? Yes oh my god so when he comes into the house to our house for the first time he has a brand new guitar with a brand new guitar case and he plays it like this and he plays uh, i never heard i'm 11 years old at the time i never heard and all the musicians i had heard never heard anybody play a guitar like that
1: yeah he flipped it upside down and backwards because he's lefty number five
4: and uh, when we did our first gig man it, 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 it just changed the whole band it changed the whole band he stood out in front of them man
3: and like people went crazy over you know and uh, he had uh, um, stage presence he had a good sense of humor he was um, respectful and polite he learned very fast
1: But the world is about to change in music because it's the early 60s. That's what we're talking about. Well, guess what's about to happen? Coming out of England are the Beatles. So no more Elvis Presley. No more songs generating from America. It's not the center of the universe anymore. Even the Isley brothers will be in trouble. Listen to Jimi Hendrix. You can tell already he's starting to realize the future will be in England. Number six.
3: He was started a band before the first rehearsal was over. And, uh, you know, f- from like the jump, he was given, he was given preferential treatment, which, you know, some of the guys in the band rubbed him the wrong way, but place. <laughs> because it turns out that that person, that you never know who you're dealing with or who you're rubbing elbows with. The night that the Beatles played on Ed Sullivan for the first time on our couch is me on the left side, Marvin, youngest brother, on the right side, and Jimi Hendrix in the middle. And when Ed Sullivan said, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles, there was no clap of thunder.
1: Mm. Number seven.
3: You don't know what the future holds. It's indelible. and don't forget days, the
5: Ed Sullivan moment.
3: Oh, right? no, no, no. And a couple of days after that, two or three days after that, there was a meeting with the whole band. And amongst other things, Kelly said, now this new English band changed everything. And, uh, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like for, even for Elvis himself, but I think we're going to be all right because they do Shout and Twist and Shout. And uh, they got two guitar players, but we got Jimmy. And when he said, but we got Jimmy, I looked over at Jimmy, and Jimmy was grinning from ear to ear at that remark.
1: (laughs) He's grinning from ear to ear because he knows he's going to have to go to England to become bigger than the Beatles. Let's listen to the very first time he now is taken to England after being with the Isley brothers who keep saying, hey, you gotta stay in the back, don't be in the front. Let's go to number 11.
2: Having been in London for just a week, Jimmy went along to a cream gig and put in an audacious request to jam
6: with Clapton. Nobody gets up to jam with Cream. Cream is Mount Olympus. Cream is the absolute pinnacle. Ordinary mortals cannot breathe the rarefied air that exists in this hallowed space. I mean, a very brave person who would do that.
4: As far as I remember, he plugged into my bass amp. He did a version
6: of Killing Floor, and it blew us all the
1: Number
6: 12. Clapton had always loved the song, but always thought it was too difficult. And Hendrix just rages through it and does all his tricks and stunts, the kind of things that people like Little Richard and the Isley Brothers hated him doing. You know, he plays the guitar behind his head, between his legs, with his teeth. Feedback, tremolo arm, dive bombs, the whole
1: works. He's blown a roof off of being in England, but he still doesn't have a place yet. He starts his own band, gets a drummer, gets a bass player, and that's it, It, and him. You're going to hear now from Chris Squire, who later was a star in the band Yes, but he's in this little band called Sin at this little club, the Marquee Club, and he has no idea. He's opening. He's the opening act, his his band Sin, for this band was some dude named Jimi Hendrix and he has no idea who Jimi Hendrix is, but listen to him describe that very first time he meets Jimi Hendrix band, because he's the opening act at the Marquee Club. And this total stranger dude from America is about to blow everyone away. Let's go to number eight.
6: And as I'm testing my mic, I'm looking down, I it's Steve Winwood and Pete Townsend, <laughs> and Keith Richards, <laughs> and, and, and is that George Harrison? Yeah, it is, you know. So all my heroes were like uh, there, and we were like, oh, for our first song, um, <laughs> you know, uh, we'd we like to do a cover of, uh, you know, something. No I hope it was a good <laughs> uh, <day. laughs> Yeah, well, later on, when I got to know Pete Townsend, i just say do you remember mm. that night when we, the Sin opened for Hendrix? And um, he said, Yeah, I said, uh, I, I said, everyone was applauding, but was that like applause for like great get off, you know?
1: <laughs> they all wanted to hear Jimi Hendrix, the buzz was already out there. Number nine,
6: so of course, everyone in the world had showed up at the marquee club, and including the Beatles and the Stones to, to watch Hendrix, and and I couldn't even get out of the dressing room because the people were just pressed up against it, yeah. so I went and um just sat on uh, the grand piano, which was behind Mitch Mitchell's drums, uh, on the stage. And uh, of course, I was totally blown away. It was just uh, amazing. And and I'm also seeing like Eric Clapton going, oh, my God, I'm not God anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you got to leave home to find in yourself that confidence to be what you really want to be. In sports, it was when Duke Kahanamoku in 1914 went to Australia where no one ever surfed before. We'll get into that. Coming up next, you're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior
5: Show presented by Cedar sinai What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. This orthopedic surgeon is on fire. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Because I'm on fire, that's why. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
1: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. You're listening to Jimi Hendrix singing Bob Dylan's all along the watchtower nobody made a guitar sound like that but he did have to go all the way to London to be discovered in sports who did that in sports the great Duke Kahanamoku had to leave Hawaii to become the biggest surfer in the world in a world that did not even want to hear about surfing by the way, the lines are all lit up. 877-710-ESPN. Hang on the lines, I'll open the clinic. Let me just teach you a little bit about Duke Kahanamoku, and then we'll open the clinic at 730. Let's go to number one, the story of Duke Kahanamoku.
0: As a teenager, he, he helped resurrect the ancient Polynesian sport of surfing, which had been suppressed during the colonial period. Kahanamoku and the other surfers of Waikiki Beach were called Beach Boys but it was in the pool not the surf that kahanamoku first made waves he broke world records while winning two gold medals in the 1912 olympics duke is often called the first superstar of swimming after his olympic triumph in sweden he continued to globetrot
1: but it wasn't in swimming where his heart really lied number two
0: around christmas day 1914 he reached sydney australia
1: he was here for what they called the Kahanamaku carnivals, which was, was swimming exhibitions. And he went around the country swimming.
0: But after a while, he was bored with mere swimming. The 25-year-old Duke wanted to surf. Problem was, nobody had ever surfed down under. Although Australia was surrounded by wide beaches with shapely waves,
1: nobody was riding them.
0: Unless you counted the sharks.
1: They would not go in the water because they feared for their life. A whole country surrounded by waves with no surfers in 1914. Next. Around
0: Christmas Day, 1914, before steel mesh was placed outside Australian beaches, the waves were crawling with the critters. Since there were no surfers, there were no boards. Not a problem for Duke, who was used to carving his own. Gahanamoku ordered a length of sugar pine from a local hardware store. He then went to work with carving tools and in a few hours had fashioned a serviceable board. Number four. It was shaped like a bullet and was about as subtle. It had no fins. It was big, eight and a half feet long and heavy.
1: Quite amazing, weighs about 65, 70 pounds. It's very heavy. Anyone who's ever lifted it would know how heavy it is.
0: On January 15, 1915, he hauled the board out to freshwater beach just north of sydney freshwater seems a spot made for drama a long tongue of the sea surrounded by high cliffs in this natural amphitheater a large crowd had gathered presumably to watch duke and his outlandish board being served to the sharks like an appetizer on a cracker (laughs) number five instead He splashed into the surf and expertly caught a wave. It was the first time on record that a man stood upright on a board in the Australian surf. Though no photograph exists, the moment was later captured in bronze. In this acclaimed sculpture perched high on the freshwater cliff, Duke appears to be riding his board on a wave of solid rock. After his first ride, Duke started doing tricks, walking the plank, standing on his head, even taking along a passenger
1: and number nine
0: since kahanamoku's first visit in 1914 australia has become one of the surfing capitals of the world even rivaling the duke's own home water of hawaii
1: every australian kid who lives on the eastern seaboard wants to surf now if we've got a population of of 18 million you'd you'd have to think we've got six million surfers
0: you can trace it back to one january morning in 1915 and one board hewn from a solid piece of sugar pine.
1: I want you to hear Duke Kahanamoku's voice, and I want you to hear my good friend and just buddy Bruce Brown in 1965, interviewing Duke Kahanamoku, where he asks him, what is it that you love most? Swimming or riding the surf? Listen to Bruce Brown, talking to the great Duke Kahanamoku, number 10.
7: Let's talk to the greatest surfer of them all, Duke Kahanamoku. Duke, it's a real honor to be here on your island for this invitational surfing championship. Well, Bruce, I'm glad you came to Hawaii. For those of you who may not know all about Duke, back in 1911, he jumped in the Honolulu Harbor, swam a 100-yard freestyle, and broke the existing world's record by four and a half seconds. He went on to compete in four Olympic Games spanning a period of 20 years, won many gold medals.
1: And finally, number 11.
7: I've always been curious, Duke, was it more of a thrill for you to win those Olympic Games or ride some of those giant waves at Castle Surf I know you used to ride? Well, they're pretty,
0: uh, both are quite thrilled, but I think this surfing is much more to me the greatest thrill of my life is to ride one of these big... Surf with the heavy board weighs about 114 pounds and about 16 feet long.
7: There's a story of Duke riding a wave at Waikiki one day for a mile and an eighth. It's a legend over here in Hawaii, and so is the Duke.
1: Yes, he is, but he had to leave Hawaii to be discovered as the greatest surfer. Sometimes you do have to leave home to really find your fortune and fame. Tariq Black's going to be my guest at 8.15, and I can't wait to talk to him about both the world of playing with Kobe Bryant in his last game as a Laker, and then Tariq Black going to Israel and finding fame and fortune playing in Israel. It's a fascinating story that all of us can learn from. Coming up next, the clinic will be open. I'm going to take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN.
5: You're listening to The Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. It's an orgasmic dose of rice pudding. Start your weekend off right. Listening to The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. You
1: can have a whole Clapper meal there, right there, right in front of you.
5: Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
1: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's the Isley Brothers. Who's that lady? Ronald Isley. What a voice. That was the first band Jimi Hendrix played in when he came to New York, leaving Seattle. But it wasn't until Chaz Chandler, the bassist for the Animals, who took him to London, that launched Jimi Hendrix into the stratosphere of guitar playing. Sometimes you gotta leave home to find yourself and find the success. Let's open the clinic. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Let's go right to Joe. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, uh, Dr. Clapper.
7: Um, I'm gonna get uh, ACL and meniscus surgery,
1: not this Monday, but the following Monday. So, uh, Joe, how old are you? P. What do you do for a living? Where would you grow up? What high school? What would your father do for a living? I love it. A lot
7: of questions. Uh, I live in Orange County right now. I'm in uh, the collectibles industry. I do uh, sales and business development, uh, PSA, uh, PCGS. I'm sure you've heard of PSA cards, but that's where I work. Uh, and uh, grew up in San Pedro. Uh, father's an accountant out there, CPA. Got his own mm-hmm. little firm
0: hmm
7: and what sport do you do
1: how'd you hurt yourself
7: uh well i grew up a swimmer and then i thought i'd start playing soccer which is probably not the best idea but i really (laughs) fell in love with it and uh honestly great sport but Mm -hmm. i i tore the acl like four years ago very little like they did an Mm -hmm. mri then and they said hey just You know, keep messing with it. It's just a little tear. Don't You know, I wouldn't do surgery, and it was kind of fine. And then about three, four months ago, I I was playing soccer again with a brace on, and I just landed kind of funky, and it
1: totally went out. I just felt it right there. So that's called a non-contact tear of the ACL. And it's really interesting as to why that occurs. Do you listen to the show? You know what Clapper Vision is? Yep, yep. You want a clap revision of why you tore your ACL? Please, lay it on me. (laughs) So, you got a house and you got a garage and you got a garage door. I don't care what car you're driving. If you press that button and the garage door goes up and you pull your car into that rectangular garage door, floor, floor two walls and a ceiling, you can pull that car into the garage, assuming you don't have a lot of junk in your garage, and you got plenty of clearance for your car to drive into your garage, okay? The ligament is your car, You're the ACL, how it sits in the center of your knee, going from the thigh bone, the femur, to the tibia. There's plenty of clearance inside that femur bone for the ligament to sit. Just like your car has plenty of room between the two walls, the ceiling, as it sits on the floor. But what if, instead of a garage, Joe, you drove your car into a Native American house, which is called a teepee. You know what a teepee looks like? An A-frame type of housing. Yeah, I Let me tell you something. It. You cannot pull your car into an A-frame because there's no clearance for your car. It won't fit properly because of the triangular shape of the A-frame. Many folks are born where the space in the femur that makes room for the ligament, which looks rectangular, it's basically the housing for the ligament inside that bone but many people are born and they don't know it where the ligament sits not in a rectangular hole in the bone but in an a-frame shape to the to that housing for the ligament so all you have to do is plant your foot turn funny no one has to tackle you no one has to collide with you and you literally snap the ligament because there's no clearance just like the side of the wall of the a-frame teepee would bang into the side of your car capiche yes that makes sense yeah so it's very important i don't care whoever's doing your acl and we can talk about it because i want them to use your own body part not a cadaver i really prefer Mm -hmm. them to use your own patella tendon and not your hamstring and again this is just my opinion Everybody gets to do whatever they want as a patient and as a doctor. I wrote a book called Heal Your Knees with Lindy Yui, and you'll read about my philosophy of why I believe it's more work for me, the surgeon, more work for you, the patient, rather than taking the, the new ligament, the graft, out of the box, which is a cadaver. It's easier for me to do a cadaver. It's easier for you to recover from if I use a cadaver. But the statistics show that it is not as successful long term. Carson Palmer, the great quarterback, had an Achilles tendon, cadaver, used as his graft seven years after his surgery. Nobody touched him. He was just backing up with the ball. Boom, he mm-hmm. felt a pop in his knee seven years after his ACL had been fixed, and now it tore again. Guess how they revised Carson Palmer's ACL? they used his own patella tendon which in my opinion is the gold standard that's what you should use in my opinion so you make sure that they're going to carve out this is why i love to sculpt and marble joe because it's the same tools you want to take your time and sculpt some room for the new ligament if it's an a-frame you literally have tools to carve and make it into a rectangular shape in the femur bone. So there's room for the ligament. So it's not an A-frame anymore. And for you to use your own patella tendon. That's my advice to you. What other questions do you have?
7: Uh, They were actually, it's funny you say that. They recommended, I'm doing it at Keck, and they recommended actually pulling from my quad. I guess
1: they've seen a lot of success with that. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, It's certainly better than using your hamstring and a cadaver. And you just want to make sure that the term that you want to ask for is: Will you be doing what's known as a notch plasty? The notch is that space in the femur, which, if it's shaped like an A-frame, you can do whatever graft you want. But if you don't make the notch plasty, plasty in Latin, like plastic surgery, means to shape, to newly shape, and the notch is the name, the femoral notch. You wanna make sure that they're gonna take the time to do the notchplasty so that you don't have it tear and need it done again. That's the key question that you're gonna ask. As far as the graph using your quad, yes, there's statistics that show that. You know what? I'm a big fan of it ain't broke, don't fix it. I've been doing the ACL surgeries for 31 years. So many of them, I can't even count how many, and nobody's coming back to have it done again because I used their own patella tendon, and I took my time to do the notchplasty. All right? Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, you make sure. And get that book, Heal Your Knees. That'll help you in your rehab as well. And thanks so much for listening to the Weekend Warrior Show. Now, Joe, you're a total stranger to me. I never met you. Look what I just did for you. You know how you can thank me? You find a total stranger today. You do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. I'm on it. Sounds good. All right, young man. Thanks so much for calling. Let's go to Chris. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Smokey Clapper. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, listen, Chris, I'm up against it. So, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a break, pay some bills, stay on the line. I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk about what's up with you. I think uh, Steve Paulette told me it's your shoulder. So, you hang in there. I'll be right back to talk to you. And, Weekend Warriors, the number is 877 710
5: ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Carly's got a gift card for you. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. K-L-A-P-P-A-H. Clapper. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710. Home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
1: Mm -hmm. Welcome
5: back, Weekend Warriors
1: listening to there is Layla from Eric Clapton. Next Saturday, my guest is going to be Harvey Kubernick, and we're going to talk about what went into making Layla 50 years ago. Fascinating. The first time two lead, lead guitars are plugged into the same amp. What a story. All right, let's continue the clinic. The number is eight seven 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 ten espn We're talking to Chris. Chris, how young are you? What do you do for a living? Where'd you go to high school? What'd your dad do for a living?
2: Okay, 64 years old. I clean and restore architectural metals, uh, which is brass, oh. bronze, stainless steel. I grew up in Ramsey, New Jersey. Went to Ramsey High School. My dad was an accountant slash headhunter for Price Waterhouse Company back in the 60s and 70s.
1: Tell me how you got interested in restoring architectural bronze.
2: I fell into it. I came out here from Jersey looking for a job. A friend of mine worked for a company that that's what they did. And that's how I fell into it. And I liked it and I've been doing it ever since been doing it for 30 years.
1: What's the coolest thing that you restored? Oh boy.
2: Um, I've done some old bronze, uh, church stores, which is a lot of fun. It's more kind of a preservation than more of a restoration uh restoration mm. is you clean it down to the bare metal and you bring it back to life as new preservation mm. is more you got what you got there the, the patina you try and keep the patina on it and you put mm. uh preservation wax on top of it uh, those are the interesting ones i do some work up at the getty villa uh, mm. malibu's getty villa i've uh, done some work at the new new getty also but that's newer metal but uh, I've done some antiquing and oxidizing of the metals it's kind of fun it's interesting
1: I did a knee replacement on a patient who's in the field of old rare coins and he gave me a gift of a uh, Roman coin a bronze coin from 350 BC 350 years before Christ was born they're using this money and he gives me this as a gift. And I'm telling you, I, just holding it, thinking about all the history that's involved, I mean, you must feel that history every time you work on one of these things.
2: Oh, absolutely. You, you don't want to
1: do no damage, right? You want to preserve yep. it when you get that. Do reward. no
2: harm. Yeah. All right,
1: how can I help you? What's up?
2: Uh, had a shoulder. Uh, I, I uh, tore my bicep muscle years and years ago, but that's not part of it. I ended up falling on the ice back in Vermont and I did the classic feet come out from under me and I landed on my arm, elbow, and shoulder. So I had uh rotator cuff surgery. Uh, the the doctor at the time told me it was a significant tear. He didn't tell me exactly how much it was, but it was close to being, you know, cut open instead of the orthopedic or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the the tubes. So I'm pretty happy with it, but it bothers me every once in a while and, I get a pain, it's more discomfort, it's not pain, down the middle of my bicep muscle, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm okay, but once I start to lift it above level, I get a little quick sometimes, and it just, I don't know if I just have to do some exercises, and like I said, pretty much happy with it, I, and you
1: know, I, I got that
2: old man's disease. But <laughs> right. so, it's so called like,
1: altercocceritis. That's, <laughs> that's right, yeah. So just like you like to polish and preserve old brass, I'm an orthopedic surgeon for 31 years, and I like to preserve and restore old people. (laughs) You're one of them. (laughs) But you know what? I've always felt that information empowers us. Do not let anybody talk you into cortisone, stem cells, or some cockamamie lubricating needle no needles into your shoulder please there's no shampoo growing hair back on top of my head but that doesn't stop people from trying to promise me they got a solution for it (laughs) you know you certainly want to avoid surgery and that's always a good idea but it would be nice to know what the status report is of your anatomy it would be nice to know what the bronze really looks like underneath the patina And the best way to look in your shoulder without doing surgery is an MRI. You should get an exam. You should have an x-ray and you should have an MRI. You don't need a painful dye injected into your shoulder, but why not? You pay a fortune for health insurance. The whole broken system that we lived in is a mess. You're not getting the study so that you can have surgery, but it sure would be nice to know what's going on because you may be, just the fact that you said it's not pain, it's a discomfort means that you tend to be a stoic kind of guy. I mean, one of the most important things as a doctor is to listen to people, to take a history. That's why I ask people, what do you do for a living? What did your father do? I need to learn as much about how you might describe your injury. What you, how you might describe it. And the fact that you don't want to say the P word, pain, means you're stoic. So you are a person that you really need to know what the true story is inside your shoulder, because you might be telling yourself, here's a great medical term, a bubba mindset, which means you may be telling yourself stories. And Shakespeare said it best to thine own self be true. The fact that your shoulder bothers you enough to pick up the phone to call the Weekend Warriors show means it's significant. And I'm not here to talk you into surgery. I'm actually interested in doing the opposite. But what I think is best for you is information. So getting a new MRI, getting an exam, and if you can't find someone in your neighborhood who can help, then I'm giving you permission. You'll come and see me and tell the girls, that I said it's okay and you can make time come and see me. You need information. That's all I'm talking about to decide, do you need therapy? Are you living on the edge? Do you have arthritis? It's more than just your biceps. That's for sure. Okay? I got it. And
2: I appreciate it. Good thought. And uh, one question for you, doctor. You ready? Yep. Does your cardiologist know you recommend all this delicious food every weekend?
1: Oh my god. So, here's here's the latest one. I love mint ice cream when it's oh, combined with chocolate ice cream. It's some 1 plus 1 becomes 3. But I live in search of the greatest chocolate ice cream which we can get into but I want to find the best mint chocolate chip ice cream so that I can put both of these scoops together and make the greatest concoction. And I've found the greatest mint chocolate chip ice cream I've ever had. And a little later in the show, I'm gonna tell you what it is and where you can get it in Los Angeles because the world changes when you put a scoop of chocolate ice cream next to a scoop of mint chocolate chip but I'll get into that a little bit later in the show but no my cardiologist doesn't know cuz I ain't going to a cardiologist <laughs> but Good thanks for, for thinking about me Chris and listen you're a total stranger I just helped you I want you to find a total stranger today do something nice for them that's how you'll be thanking me okay you
2: bet you doctor I appreciate it thank you for All right fine.
1: god bless you Chris and thanks for checking in with us All right warriors I can't wait to get into some storytelling, but I do want to tell you, I had a very special moment this week from a guy named Alex who works at Cedars on my way to the operating room on Wednesday. He's pushing some giant video machine because he's the supervisor for this kind of equipment that they use in GI, we use in orthopedics, anytime we use cameras. And I said, good morning to him. He said, good morning to me. And then as I walked a little bit further, he screams out, hey, Dr. Clapper. And I turn, because he knew my name, even though I don't know, never met him before. He said, I want you to I thank you for saving my life. And he said, I said, saving your life? Are you a patient of mine? He goes, no. I listened to the Weekend Warriors show. And you once told a story about how your father, when he gets to an intersection, and the light is about to change from red to green, that your dad said, don't go. You should still look both ways because it is green and you're right to go. But my dad said, Robbie, you would be dead right because people love to shoot the light. So stop, look both ways, then go. He said, you told that story. And I adopted that in my life. Two weeks after I heard you tell that story, and I adopted it, I was at an intersection, the light turned green, but I looked both ways and all of a sudden a guy shot through the light at 90 miles an hour. I would have been killed. Thank you, Dr. Clapper, for telling that story. And I looked at him and I said, Alex, you made me think of my father. The fact that he was able to touch you and help you means he's still alive. Thank you. And that's how I began my Wednesday. What a beautiful way to begin a day. Coming up next, we'll tell some more stories. The number is 877 espn We'll be talking to the great Tariq Black at 815. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. You make sure and get that book, Heal Your Knees, That'll help you in your rehab as well. And thanks so much for listening to the Weekend Warrior Show. Now, Joe, you're a total stranger to me. I never met you. Look what I just did for you. You know how you can thank me? You find a total stranger today. You do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. I'm on it. Sounds good. All right, young man. Thanks so much for calling. Let's go to Chris. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help?
2: Smoky Clapper?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Hey, listen, Chris, I'm up against it, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a break, pay some bills, stay on the line. I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk about what's up with you. I think uh, Steve Paulette told me it's your shoulder, so you hang in there. I'll be right back to talk to you. And Weekend Warriors, the number is 877-710-ESPN.